0: The last several weeks, we have been talking about our relationship to sin, and we're going to be doing that again today. So I, I had somebody tell me a couple of weeks ago, you, you know, uh, churches don't talk that much about sin anymore. And I said, well, you know, we're, we're about to uh, hit a series of weeks where people are going to think that's all we talk about. And so we're right in the midst of that. But let me, let me just back up a little bit. We're, we're gonna be in chapter seven of the book of Romans, but let me back up to chapter five, where in Romans chapter five, Paul is explaining to the church at Rome how Christ has freed them from sin. That in Adam, all had sinned and are sinful, but through Christ, they've been set free from sin. Therefore, he says in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Then he says in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, uh, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And he goes on to talk about this relationship, how we were connected to sin through Adam. All have sinned, but now through Christ we have been justified and set free. And because of that, he says uh, at the end of chapter 5, Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin had reigned, now grace reigns. That's great news. Then verse six, or then chapter six, he starts going, okay, now, now some of you are panicking a little bit, because uh, you understood the relationship of law to to God, that you had to be under the law and obey the law, and as you did that, then you were righteous, and if you didn't do that, then you were sinful. Um, but now, when I say grace reigns rather than sin reigns, or rather than law reigning, you are panicking, because you think that, that what that means is that, that everybody's just going to run wild, because grace reigns. He says, what then shall we say? This is chapter 6, verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he goes on to explain that we have been united with Christ and those who have been united with Christ cannot be in sin anymore. Then he says it again, um, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And he asks this question again. In verse 15 of chapter 6, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And he goes on to explain that if you... uh, even having been set free of sin, go back as an obedient slave to sin. You are just re-enslaving yourselves or acting the same as a slave. And so we are not slaves to sin, but have been set free from slavery to sin so that we can be enslaved to God. And he finishes with this in chapter 6. But now that you have been set free from God and have become slave, uh, Sorry... But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now we start verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. He starts this off, or do you not know, brothers? And Now, the reason that I'm calling you brothers is because I'm speaking to those who know the law. I am writing this, he says, to, to people who are familiar with the Old Testament law. You remember the Old Testament law. This is the, the way that you related to God. Moses came down from the mountain uh, and gave the law to the people and said, this is what you shall do. This is the way in which you are to interact with God. This is the way. He says, I'm speaking to those who, who know the law. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Don't you know that? That a law is binding on you only as long as you're alive? Now, in case you don't get that, he, he, go, he goes into an illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law of marriage. Right? You're married. You're married until he dies. Or until she dies, if you're looking at it the other way. You're, you're, you're married until your spouse dies. That, that, that's why when you stand at the, on, at the altar and you're doing your vows, you, what's until death do us part, right? Until death do us part. We recognize that at that point after death, now that we're, this is no longer binding. The, this promise that we're making here, this covenant that we're making here, this is no longer binding after death. Then it's done, right? So he says... For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, then she is released from the law of marriage. At this point, we're going, yeah, I think we got it. And now you've given us the illustration, and so I'm pretty sure that we've got it. Accordingly, he says, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. At this point, aren't you going, yeah, we get it, Paul. Yeah, I I don't think I needed the illustration. And I, I don't think I needed it to be expounded that you would. But thank you. He just wants us to be super clear. Super clear. The law is binding as long as we are alive. But once, once death happens, then that law is not, even bi- not binding anymore. The relationship has changed, right? So that even this, this woman whose husband died, now she's set free. If she had gone with another man while her husband was still alive, we would have called her an adulteress. But we're not going to do that because the husband died and so it's fine. We're not going to call her an adulteress. If that's the case for the woman, what about for the man? Well, he's free, right? Completely free. It's done. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. He's he's taking this whole illustration to wrap up all that happened in chapter 6. All that happened in chapter 6. In chapter 6, we had this... Um, does, Should sin abound, right? Should should sin just be multiplied on top of itself? And should we just keep on sinning? By no means. Do you not know, he says in chapter 6, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been united with Christ so that His death is our death. We've died to sin. It's done. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For the death, verse 10 of Romans chapter 6, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14 of chapter 6, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. He's just rehearsing all of these things in chapter 7. He's he's pulling them all together. This unity with Christ. This having died to sin, having died to the law so that it no longer has control over us anymore. It no longer has mastery over us anymore. And now he uses this illustration of marriage that we had been wed to one, but because of death are free from that and now may be united to another. That's what's going on here. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You've been set free from sin. It's not, the because of the way this is worded, you might have the impression that somehow we are married to the law, right? But that's not what's happening here. We are married to sin under the law. We're married to sin under the law. Just like the woman in the illustration was not married to the law, but was married to the man, and the law was over that, right? By law, they were married one to another. And now she's bound to him because of the law. She's not married to the law, but because of the law, she's bound to him. What this is saying is we have been bound to sin, We understood how things worked and we go, okay, I know that this is wrong. I should not do those things. That's sin. Wrongdoing. I shouldn't do that. And the law came and gave clarity to that, right? We talked about this some, uh, the last couple of weeks, that the law gives clarity to that and articulates it so that there's no gray area. Right? That's that's why the law is there. It makes everything nice and neat and clean. If I'm out driving on the road out here and there's no speed limit posted, then there, at some point we all acknowledge that's too fast. Right? You're driving along on this road right out here. At some point you go, you know, that's just not a safe speed. That is too fast. That's wrong. We'd all agree that if I went bombing down Canyon Creek Road at 100 miles an hour... That's too fast, right? But what about 50 miles an hour? I, I'm i still fairly young. I've got quick reflexes. But uh, 50 miles an hour, that's probably okay, right? Maybe. Maybe not. But we have now law, the speed limit is posted 35 miles an hour. Now we all know if it's more than 35 miles an hour, that's too fast. Some of us might drive down Canyon Creek Road, especially having come off the freeway, and it's a really wide road. You can, it's, it's pretty open. 35 miles an hour, that doesn't seem that fast. I, I bet 40 or 45 would be safe. But the law says, boom, this is the line. I'm bringing definition to this. This is wrong, this is right. 34, fine. 35, 36, wrong. Too fast. right? It, it brings definition to that so that you can see what is right and what is wrong. It's not that the, you're married to the law or that you have the relationship to the law itself. It's the relationship to the sin. The law just brings definition to it so that you understand what's going on with the sin. But what he's saying is, now, if you die, that law doesn't have effect anymore. Right? Once you're dead, once I'm dead, the speed limit of Canyon Creek Road no longer matters. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. That, it's just, I have no relationship to that law. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You were connected to sin and have been set free from sin by death. And the law no longer has effect over that because you have a new way of relating to Christ so that you may belong to another. To whom? To him who has been raised from the dead. Isn't that great imagery? We're connected through the body of Christ in his death so that we can be set free from sin and connected to him who was raised. That's the same guy. That's pretty cool. Well, maybe it's just me. I thought it was pretty cool. That we are united with Him in death so that we can also be united with Him in life. We've been set free from sin through death so that we can be united to Him in life. We have been set free from the marriage being wed to sin so that we can be wed, united with Christ. This is different imagery than last week, isn't it? Last week, what was the imagery? Slavery. Masters and slaves, we were set free from the mastery of sin, having to do what it said, being enslaved to sin, and then being set free so that we can be enslaved to God. Now we have different kinds of imagery here that we are set free from God so that we can be united with Christ, wed to Him. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. What was the purpose for which you had been set free? So that you can now be wed to him who is uh, raised from the dead and so that we might bear fruit for God. We talked about that last week too, didn't we? The way that we serve with our members, the way that we serve with our bodies and who we serve and what we're producing. And here, we have this now that we may serve God, that we may uh, be united with Him in order that we may bear fruit for God. Because, he says, for, in verse 5, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, when when we were wed to sin, when we were living in the flesh, Right? This is not physical flesh. This is the category of when we were living according to the flesh. Not spiritually, but when we were living, uh, fleshly. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, the, the, that power, the urges of sin within us, aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. The, the imagery here is rather sexual. I mean, when you're talking about the context of, of being wed to sin, right? And when we had been wed to sin, our sinful passions were aroused, they were energized, they were excited by the law. So that, uh, so that our members were to bear fruit the offspring of that union, of us with sin, was for death. That's what would happen. Our union with sin would excite the sin that was within us, the passion that we have for that, so that it would bear fruit for death. There there are a a few different ways that this happens. The one is just sort of by um, defining it. Right. That that it, it puts it out there. Uh, uh, let me give you an illustration. My my kids have been listening to some things, um, audio books, and they the purpose of the audio books is to teach my kids good morality, things that you should and shouldn't do. And the way that it's teaching my kids to, to uh, have good morality is by showing them some bad examples and the consequences of bad examples and then the kids in the story learning that they should do good things, right? Wonderful. It's good for my older kids. My younger kids, I have some concerns about it. And here's the reason. In order to teach my kids about the things that they shouldn't do, they're first introducing the ideas to my kids. My older kids, they already had those ideas. My younger kids, this is the first time they've heard about that kind of bickering or name-calling. And I'm listening to this book, I'm overhearing it from the other room, and I'm going, "Uh uh-oh. I hope they learn the lesson that they're supposed to be learning because otherwise that is a name I am definitely going to be hearing next week. Maybe later today. It is introducing to them the idea of this sin that they otherwise hadn't invented yet. There is a sense in which the law can do that. It can, it can uh, introduce to you an idea that I hadn't thought of that yet. Now, a little bit more personal of an example, my wife made biscotti that she was uh, going to be giving to some people for Christmas, and uh, I came home and she said, there's biscotti on the counter, please don't eat it. (laughs) Never had I wanted to eat biscotti so badly. I got a freezer full of chocolate chip cookies, but nothing would satisfy the urge quite like that biscotti that's sitting fresh on the counter that is now forbidden. It introduces the idea and it arouses those sinful p- passions that are within us. There are other times that, that it just um, energizes it that we know that we shouldn't be doing that. This thing, this object that has our attention, we know we shouldn't be doing that, but there's something about its forbidden nature that excites us about it. It's part of the appeal. It's the adrenaline rush of doing the thing that's wrong. I wonder if she'd notice if only half of Biscotti was missing. The answer is yes, by the way. <laughs> But it, it, it's this, this thing that, that excites us, that energizes us. It's, it's part of the allure or the appeal. The forbidden nature. What, no. Hmm. I wonder if I should click on that. I wonder if I should say that. No, I know I shouldn't say that, but there's just something, just, I just, I just want to let it let it go. Let it fly out of my mouth unrestrained, unconstrained. There's something about the law that intensifies it. There's something about it too that it acts like a magnifying glass. You know when you, you take the magnifying glass and you look at something and then you can see it more clearly and you understand it better? There's something too about that magnifying glass that if you if you tilt it and it takes the the light and it heats it up so that something happens. There's something about that that... When we find ourselves in sin and the law is there, we understand, I know this is wrong, but I stepped this far, I may as well just keep going. Or I know this is wrong, but the shame of it causes me into more to go into more sin. To try and undo that thing. There's something about the way that we interact with sin that the law just intensifies, energizes our relationship with sin so that we feel like we're stuck in it because this is the way that we know to operate. And what he's saying here is we have been set free from that through the death of Christ, so we're no longer bound to that and we're free to marry somebody else. We're free to have a different kind of relationship under a new kind of law. Union with Christ in his life. No longer connected to sin. For while we were uh, living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law. We are released from the law that binds us to sin. Having died to that uh, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not the old way of the written code. Really quick, I want to read two passages for you. The first is Exodus chapter 20. This is the giving of law, of the law. God is speaking to the Israelites who he has taken out of Egypt and he's speaking to them in in, uh, Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, And you have in the book of Exodus some more expansion on that. And in the book of Leviticus, some more expansion on that. And in the book of Numbers, some more explanation. And then in Deuteronomy, a recapping of the whole law. So that they would know for sure, this is the way that you are to be a people set apart and holy for God. This is the way that you are to relate to God, for He is your God and you are His people. And the Israelites, for a very short period of time, did sort of that. They at least attempted it. To live as a people set apart and holy for God. And then, they just walked away. They served other gods. They broke all of these commandments. And the Lord said, that's not okay. And here's the punishment that's going to happen because of that. Here are all of the things that will happen. Here are the people who will come in and and, uh, conquer you and drag you out of here. Here are all of the consequences of your behavior. And then he tells them in Ezekiel 36 about a hope of something to come. Therefore say to the house of Israel thus, thus says the Lord God It is not for your sake O house of Israel that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came You hear what the problem was They were to be his people set apart by uh, set apart for him and living holy lives so that all of the nations would know who was God And because they hadn't been doing that, all of those consequences had come. And now he's saying, now, I'm going to act, but I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to do it because my name has been profaned and I want to redeem my name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And he's talking about a new covenant, a new way of living. Not like the old way where he gave them all of these laws and the things that they would do, but a new way where his spirit would be within them and he would be connected to them, united with them. And they would uh, love and uh, serve out of the obedience of their hearts. This is, in fact, just what we had seen last week in chapter 6. In Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Or again, this week in this week's passage... Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We have been set free from this awful relationship with sin, this horrible marriage to sin. We've been set free through death so that we can be united to another. So that we can be united to Christ in order that we may bear fruit to God. We get to celebrate that this morning in communion. That being united with Christ in His body of flesh in His death, we are united with Him who has been raised from the dead, so that we may walk in a new way of life. And so if that is what you believe this morning, I would encourage you to participate with us. We have a table here in the front and one there in the back. Uh, You can come and, and get the bread and the cup, bring it back to your seats. And then after the worship team leads us in the next song, I will come back up and we will take it all together. But we are celebrating this, this union with Jesus that we may now uh, serve him, love him, be devoted to him from the heart because we are no longer connected to sin. Let's pray.